Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back and happy holidays. We got two days left till Christmas, and boy, do Kellen and I have a Christmas gift for all of you out there. Yeah, what a gift. We're going to further educate you on the collapse of society as we know it. And the potential demise of billions of people. (laughs) Yes, happy holidays indeed. So for today's episode, we're going to be discussing a very important piece to the collapse puzzle in that it ties in really well with both economic issues, sustainability issues, climate change issues. But first, before we dive in, I know Kellen had a job in high school that I was not envious of. And so I I wonder, Kellen, if you could describe to us a little bit about what you did to pay for your beater car through high school. Let me first correct you there and say that it was a job I had after high school. It was the summer between high school and my first year of college. And I was trying to save up money to pay for my first year of college. And my options were limited, right? I had just graduated from high school. I could go get minimum wage, maybe at a fast food job. But somebody told me about a job where I could make significantly more per hour. And it was at a meat processing plant. And I actually went there with my brother. We had heard that they were hiring and we showed up so that we could fill out an application. And there wasn't a clear entrance to the building. And so we walked up this staircase and opened a door. And what we saw looked like a scene from a nightmare with all the carcasses that were going by and all the blood on the floor and the noise of the machinery and the saws being used to cut through the animals. It was traumatizing. And we ended up finding the office and grabbing some applications. My brother said, hey, you do what you want, but I'm out. I'm not going to be a part of this. 
I was eager to make some good money. And so I applied and started working at this big meat processing plant. And it was myself, I'm Caucasian, and pretty much everybody that I worked with over that summer had immigrated from Central or South America. And they were open with me about the fact that they weren't here legally. And they were extremely hardworking. And I gained a deep respect and love for those people that I worked with. But anyways, I was very fortunate to be at the very end of the process. The meat was already shrink-wrapped or whatever. It was in plastic. It would come by on a conveyor belt. And my job, along with the people around me, was to slide these big hunks of meat off the conveyor belt and into boxes and sort it properly and package it. But I will say the first day on the job, they gave us a tour and they walked us through so we could see the process from start to finish. And this is a meat processing plant that slaughters 2,500 head of cattle a day. So if you can imagine, they lead the cattle through this narrow chute up a ramp. Somebody puts a chain around its back hoof. There's a guy who his whole job is to operate this thing that looks like a machine gun, but it pumps a metal rod through the skull of the animal as the animal is being pushed over a ledge. And they kill it that way so that the heart is still beating. So then it's hanging upside down from a chain and there's a guy who's in a rain suit and his whole job as these cattle come through is to slit the throat. And it is like a fire hydrant of blood that sprays out from each of these cows. And then I don't need to step through every part of the process, but it goes through, everyone has their specialized job. There's even a guy who his whole job is to like pull out the stomach and cut it open. The smell is beyond anything you can even imagine. They use almost every part of the animal. Uh, There were a couple of ladies who sit there and braid the intestines as they come through so that they can be packaged properly. And I know this is graphic, but the thing that has always haunted my memory is that they've skinned the cow, they've cut off the head, and so there's all these cow heads going by on hooks. And their eyes are hanging out, but the muscles are still firing. So all these skinless cow heads, it looks like they're making faces at you. And there's a person there whose job is just to cut out the tongue. They throw them in these big barrels, but the tongues are still moving. And so it looks like a giant barrel full of bloody worms. Anyways, it was the most challenging job I've ever had. The hardest manual labor I've ever done. And it opened my eyes to just how crazy the whole system is of processing and providing the meat that people eat in our country. Wow, that sounds awful. This was over 10 years ago. I remember you telling me about that when you started working there and describing that process to me. And a lot of what you just said has stuck with me through more than a decade because it is kind of so crazy and graphic to think about it that way. And it's insane that they're moving through 2,500 head of cattle a day. So if you hadn't guessed already, the topic of today's episode is going to be on modern ag and its impact on the environment and also a lot of the sustainability issues that come along with it. And we'll be focusing on different aspects of modern ag in the future in different episodes. But today is just going to be one piece of that. And as kind of an introduction, Kellen and I both watched a documentary that walks through the current situation with our modern agriculture. And so we're going to both talk about some of the key facts from that documentary as well as give some of our critiques of it because we think there's a lot of maybe shortcomings as well. But the basic principles of it were sound. And those are what we're really going to try and highlight today. So the documentary was called Cowspiracy. And just in the title itself, you can kind of already tell the angle that it took. And that might be the part that Kellen and I kind of discuss about disagreeing with. Nonetheless, it is still impactful in the way that it demonstrates the damage that agriculture is doing to our environment and why overall it's just really not a great idea. Yeah, and to me it was really eye-opening in a lot of ways. 
you know, it talks about just how many resources we have to use in order to produce meat for us to eat. It talks about the damage that we're doing to the environment. There's so many things that I appreciated from the documentary. But I will say that some of my critiques are that first, like most documentaries, it's a little over-dramatized. You know, the creator does a lot to try and push the issue as some sort of a big conspiracy. And I feel like he makes some unfair assumptions. In some of his interviews, if somebody doesn't say something, then he claims that they're trying to cover it up or that it's out of fear or greed that they're not mentioning this one thing that he wants them to mention. So it's a little strong on the angle that it takes. But like you said, the principles are sound. Some of the facts that are mentioned and some of the data that is represented in the documentary, I think we have to take with a little bit of a grain of salt, simply because, you know, Corey, you and I haven't really taken the time to verify every one of those facts. And some of them are presented in a way that perhaps is is solely focused on creating that alarm and trying to represent how big of a problem it is. So as we talk about specific numbers, I think they do a lot to represent the problem, but just recognize that like any documentary, it had a point that it was trying to get across. And I think we want to focus a lot more on the the principles and how this relates to collapse, the things that are not sustainable and less on whether it's, you know, 15% or 17% or 23% when it comes to a certain figure or number. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, you know, if you were to ask the guy, I think his name was Kip, what is the number one greatest environmental issue that's going to cause a collapse of our ecosystems? He would say modern agriculture. And I think the point we're trying to get across here is that while modern agriculture is a huge problem, it's a piece to the puzzle. I don't know that I would say it's the number one issue. So with that, maybe let's get into some of the numbers that he used. By the way, this documentary is from 2014. And so while the numbers would have been that old, we haven't been able to independently verify those numbers or, you know, figure out what they are for for today in 2020 numbers. But one of the biggest points he makes at the opening of the film is that when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture on a global scale, it equals all the greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector. You know, and he points out that that's cars, that's semi-trucks on the freeways, boats, trains, planes, all of the greenhouse gas emissions from all that equals all the greenhouse gas emissions from agriculture, from livestock specifically. So it is big. That's huge. You know, you see a lot of focus on electric vehicles and shaming people for flying in airplanes and, and focusing on how to electrify semis and boats and things like that. And um, you don't maybe necessarily hear as much talk about the damage that agriculture does. So I think on that end, him bringing it to light through the documentary is great. Another thing to realize, though, is that with that number, both transportation and agriculture represent somewhere between like 13 and 15 percent of all greenhouse gas emissions each. So added together, those two sectors are still, you know, a third or less of all greenhouse gas emissions, the biggest being energy. So, you know, electrifying homes, industry, heating, air conditioning, those sorts of things. You know, one of the examples that he used, though, was like, there's this huge focus on fracking and and its environmental downsides and how nationwide fracking consumes 100 billion gallons of water annually, whereas raising cattle in the U.S. consumes 34 trillion gallons of water annually, which is 340 times as much. So, I mean, if that's true, his point is, well, we should be paying 340 times more attention to modern ag and and its water consumption than we are to fracking. and, And that's simply not the case. And I think one of the data points or the facts that he brings up in the documentary that was most alarming to me, he talks about if you go to McDonald's and you buy a hamburger, if you get a quarter pounder, 
a quarter pound hamburger takes 660 gallons of water to produce, right? So if you follow that all the way back from the water that's needed to produce the grain to feed the animal and all the water that the animal drinks, everything that's involved, you know, that means that two months of showers is the amount of water that's needed just for you to eat a hamburger. Yeah, he also mentioned that a gallon of milk requires a thousand gallons of water to produce. He said something like, each dairy cow drinks between 40 and 50 gallons of water every day. And so that's a fact that's kind of rung in my head a lot, you know, as I look at that gallon of milk in my fridge thinking that took a thousand gallons of water to produce. And one of the points that Kip makes in the documentary is that for as much as we try and conserve water and as much as we're told to conserve water, you know, turn it off while you brush your teeth, take shorter showers, make sure that, you know, the hose isn't dripping, that sort of thing. And then yet we go and we drink a gallon of milk like it's no problem, and that cost a thousand gallons of water. So I, I do like that it kind of gave a bit of a perspective change on how we conserve water and how on a personal basis in my house, I feel like stressing out over doing those things maybe doesn't matter as much. I, that's terrible to say. It does matter. But knowing that this is such a huge issue was a bit of a paradigm shift for me. And it makes me think about what we've talked about in the past with limits to growth. And that as our population continues to grow globally, it takes more and more resources just to sustain that population. Kind of comes back to the fact that sometimes people say, well, there are people going hungry around the world, what, like 2 billion people. And that's because we just don't have enough food. But really, that's not the issue. I mean, there are a lot of factors as to why people are going hungry, right? It's a poverty problem. It's a problem of waste. But a big part of it is what we're talking about here. Think of what a thousand gallons of water could do for sustaining human life compared to one gallon of milk. And you think about like all of the grain, all of the corn or whatever it is that it takes just to feed one cow. If we were to take that grain and use it to feed people, we'd just get a lot more bang for our buck, right? Yeah, I think one of the stats on there that he actually brought up was that humans drink 5.2 billion gallons of water every day and cows drink 45 billion gallons of water every day. So cows are drinking nine times as much water as humans every day. While humans are eating 21 billion pounds of food daily, cows are eating 135 billion pounds of food daily. It's, it's again about seven times as much. So when you consider that seven times the amount of food that's being consumed by humans is being consumed by cows, which are then fed to a much, much smaller amount of humans and more wealthy humans, of course it's going to be a poverty problem. You know, the documentary talks about how there are impoverished people working on farms that is raising crops to feed to cows, to slaughter, to feed to wealthy people. And it's just this kind of sick and sad circumstance of capitalism that not only are we destroying the planet, but we're keeping people impoverished and hungry or people that are malnourished and dying so that the wealthy can indulge on, you know, their 12 ounce steak at Tony Roma's or whatever, their burgers at McDonald's. So let me just pause you there and say that I don't think the point of us going into this is to try and convince anyone that people who eat meat are evil, right? There's a lot of ethical issues. And I think the way that modern agriculture works and, and the way that animals are treated, I mean, I got to see it firsthand, right? I worked in a meat processing plant and what I saw was awful, right? This coming from somebody who, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a, a veterinarian because I loved animals. And I still love animals. Sorry, I just have to say, have you seen Mr. Deeds? <laughs> At the end, 
at the end when he's asking people what their dream job was and the one guy wanted to be a veterinarian and when he asked what he actually ended up doing he said he owned a chain of slaughterhouses <laughs> that's me that's that <laughs> i fell into that trap yeah it's kind of ironic that i i took that job simply because i wanted the money right and maybe that comes back to the whole reason we are so obsessed with meat right i do eat meat i sure love the taste of bacon I do feel like I eat a lot less meat than most people, but that might just be my justification. My sister, however, for probably a decade now, has been vegetarian. And in fact, maybe she's vegan. I don't know the details of the definition and what makes somebody vegetarian or vegan. And, you know, she'll, she will occasionally eat fish, so I don't know if that throws her out of both groups. But the point is that she avoids meat in most of its forms. And she's just fine, right? She's a healthy person. Clearly, there are a lot of people who choose not to eat meat, and it doesn't decrease their quality of life. It doesn't make it so all of a sudden they're malnourished. So if we don't need to eat meat and it's causing all these issues to try and produce all the livestock that, that will give us all the, the meat that we consume, why does it continue? Why do you think we're so addicted to it? Honestly, I think that's just how capitalism works. You know, meat tastes good, so there's a market for meat. People are used to eating it and companies make a lot of money off. I think the meat industry is huge, not just in the U.S., but worldwide. I did a little research and found out that the U.S. eats 21% of all beef globally, and we're 4% of the population. And it's funny, by the way, that stat seems to come up a lot across all sorts of different things. Coronavirus, the U.S. has between 20 and 25% of the cases, we're 4% of the population. The global prison population, the U.S. has 25% of all prisoners worldwide and we're just 4% of the population. What is it about the U.S. and having to be like a quarter of everything, even though we're only a 25th of everything? Anyway, I just think that's funny. But consuming all this meat, companies are making tons of money off of it. And this was kind of the whole cowspiracy part of the show that he dramatized. The idea that because there's so much money behind it, who is there to really stop it? And that's really how it is with everything in capitalism. And that's why we are where we are, not just from modern agriculture, but with all our climate change issues, with all our economic issues, the financial system, it's all because somebody out there wants to make a whole ton of money by exploiting something or someone else. Yeah, good point. So then I look at your notes that you've got here, and I see a long list of facts and figures and stats. And I think it will be important to touch on a number of these. But maybe let's talk about like, yes, this is a problem, right? We've stated that it's an issue. But how specifically is this a factor that will contribute to collapse? Awesome question. I think personally, I think the, the first reason is because it's just not sustainable. And when something isn't sustainable, it eventually collapses. And so as the world population continues to grow, as we continue to try and feed people with an animal diet, it gets to a point where there's simply not enough land to grow those crops on or to allow those cows to graze. And so, you know, by 2050, we're talking about 10 billion people on the earth. I think you just simply run out of the resources necessary, the water, the land, the crops to make that happen. And when that happens, like we just discussed, it's the poor people that are being impacted. While the wealthy are eating the meat, the poor people are being deprived of food. And so as there continue to be more and more hungry people and governments aren't able to support their hungry people, you start to get higher death rates, higher rates of disease, more rebellions and decay and things like that that inevitably lead to collapse. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, and as you say that, as you start to list off the things that inevitably lead to collapse, it makes me think of climate change and the fact that we've mentioned, I think, multiple times, we have all these things that are unsustainable that are leading us toward collapse And yet, if we could somehow wave a magic wand and fix the economic system and the political system and minimize our complexity, we would still collapse eventually because of climate change. And I know we keep referring to the documentary, but one thing that was brought up is that a football field worth of land is cleared from the rainforest every second. And most of that is due to agriculture. It was mentioned that there's like palm oil and there's other projects, there's engineering and making developments for cities and and all of that. But the majority of it is agriculture. So we're already having issues with all the greenhouse gases that are being released continuously. And then you take the rainforest, which is a carbon sink, you know, that helps us to some degree restore the balance and produces a lot of the oxygen that we that we need and the fact that we're clearing all of that in a lot of cases to either provide land where livestock can graze or to plant crops that are then used to feed livestock and then you take the 150 billion gallons of methane per day that are produced from cattle right it almost seems like we're just exponentially increasing the problem that we're already having simply for the sake of having a luxurious diet that we don't necessarily need Well said. And beyond just the rainforests, there's tons of other issues. I I laughed at one part of the documentary where they were talking about how much waste cattle produce. You know, they said it was 130 times more waste on a daily basis than humans produce. And he gave some crazy stats about how, like, it would be enough to fill all these different cities with cow dung, you know. But the point is that all of that waste, it's not treated. It ends up in the water tables, which ends up being washed away downstream and into the oceans. And they talk about how there's over 500 dead zones in the ocean that are directly related to agriculture and the waste that it produces. And those dead zones in the ocean are contributing to ocean acidification and us losing important wildlife in the ocean. And it's kind of accelerating that loss of marine life. And we'll get into another episode later on. We'll talk about um, the acidification of the ocean and essentially how the ocean is this massive carbon sink which means that it's taking carbon out of the air, right? It's helping neutralize the amount of carbon dioxide that we have in the air. But eventually, the ocean can't hold any more. And as we increase the dead zones, as we take out phytoplankton and stuff from the oceans, it's meaning that there's going to be that much more carbon dioxide that stays in the air and, and again, just accelerates the rate of climate change. And so lastly, one other huge environmental impact this has is, you know, we talked about in episode four that there's only so much arable land. 
and we're already using up a large percentage of it. And the more cattle that you put out on that land, it can't be used for other things. Not only that, but cattle can permanently damage the soil, making it unusable for other things. So the longer we wait, the more damage we're doing and the less we're going to be able to recover later. I do have a specific episode planned to talk about soil. Peak soil is actually a problem that we're likely to experience in the coming decades. And so that's a fascinating topic all on its own. But knowing what agriculture is doing to that soil is also important. And it's bad enough as it is, let alone to think about expanding it by what the documentary says is supposed to be an 80% increase in livestock consumption over the next 30 years. So I know when you first started teaching me about collapse, you started with the basics and we're getting more and more specific. And this is kind of a unique conversation, right? A unique episode because we're focusing on something quite specific, but it does make me think about, you know, climate change and how this is just accelerating climate change and the lack of arable land. The fact that our population growth isn't sustainable with the amount of land we're using and the fact that we are decreasing arable land in this way. So it feels like it's accelerating things that way. We've talked about the wealth disparity and the aspects of capitalism that create political and social divides and how this is either a symptom of that or a contributing cause. Either way, it's kind of in that aspect also leading us toward collapse. So this one little issue is actually a significant issue that has far-reaching impacts in a number of different aspects. And it makes me wonder if we could make a change to how this all works and change our behaviors as consumers or change the industry or make whatever change is necessary to try and fix this problem, where would we start? I think there are really only two options, right? Like you just said, either there has to be a big change in the industry or there has to be a big change in the way we consume. And so in the film, he tries to show that as far as changes in the industry, there's not really any possibility. Like trying to raise cattle organically or grass feed them on open pastures and things like that is even more unsustainable than the current way we're doing it. And so the really the only alternative then is for the change to be on the consumer side. One of the quotes that I liked from the show was that it's not a too many people problem, it's a too many people eating animals problem. And while that's not true for everything, we do have an overpopulation issue. In this case, when it comes to food, the big problem is the way that we're eating. If people would stop eating meat then we would have less land and resources being consumed by agriculture and less damage to the environment. So that being said, I am not vegan. Kellen, you've just said that you eat meat, you're not vegan. And I want to make it clear that we are not telling people to become vegan. I saw a recent Reddit post, someone was asking about if we should feel guilty for taking a trip across the country, if we should feel guilty for living our lives the way that we do. And it was interesting to read the responses I think the common consensus was we're all guilty. If we live in the Western world, we are the problem, right? So whether it's me driving my car or whether it's me going on a vacation, whether it's me buying something from Walmart or eating a hamburger, we do things that continue the problem because we're part of a capitalist society. If everyone stopped consuming meat, it would send a big message and it would help solve this problem. Do I think that's going to happen? I don't. <laughs> I can stop eating meat. And I do think that it's important that we exert an effort to make changes. But on an even deeper level, I think that if we were to say on this podcast to all of our listeners, you all need to become vegan, we all need to become vegan, no one's going to do it. Talking about just going cold turkey, completely stopping to consume any sort of meat, eggs, dairy, I just don't think anyone would listen. 
But I can say that the personal impact on me from watching the documentary, considering what impact this does have, it has stuck with me and I have decreased the amount of animal product that I've consumed. When I find myself in the McDonald's drive-thru, I think twice about ordering a hamburger. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes instead I just get fries and a parfait or something like that, right? Or in the morning, instead of bacon and eggs, maybe I'll skip the bacon today and just do the eggs. Or instead of cereal, because I don't want to use the milk, I'll eat some granola bars. You know, whatever it is, I've noticed that I have decreased the amount that I've been eating. So the documentary was very like, if you care about the planet at all, you will completely stop eating meat. You will become a vegan 100%. And it kind of had that, it was really trying to push that. Instead, I think it's a much more effective approach to say everything in moderation. Try and decrease the amount that you eat. And by so doing, I think it actually has a net positive impact instead of trying to come out really strong. Just as an example, if a thousand people were listening to this podcast and none of them took our advice to become vegan, we've done zero help. But if we said, hey, try and cut your consumption in half and only 5% of people listened to us and did that, that would be 50 people who cut their consumption in half resulting in essentially the creation of 25 vegans, right? That's how I kind of live my life is I try and do things in moderation. And I think that's kind of the tone that I would say can make a big difference over time is if people take little steps to make changes. Yeah, I like that approach. And I personally am thinking about things that I've never thought about before. I'm kind of waking up to all of this, right? You introduced me to Collapse just a few months ago. And so I know I can do a lot better in a lot of ways. I don't know if this is a fair comparison, but if somebody came to me and said, like, exhaust emissions from your vehicle are bad, so get rid of your car, I would discredit them pretty quickly, right? Not because I disagree, but I would think there's got to be something a little more reasonable or practical. Are there ways that I can drive less? You know, are there ways that I can carpool or combine trips, but still have a car in case I need it for an emergency and to properly take care of my family and do the things that I need to do? Right? There are steps that I can take to conserve water, and there's steps that I can take to produce less plastic waste. And there's so many areas that I can help at least a little bit in preventing the damage that we're doing. So I love that when you talk about, is the solution to go vegan? Well, if you're willing to, great. You're helping more than the rest of us. But if for the rest of us, we can at least make any degree of change, at least that's something. At least we're starting somewhere. You know, I think vegans listening to this podcast will probably stop listening to the podcast at this point because they're going to be like, like these guys are blasphemous. You know, if they really believe what they're teaching, that they should be committing right now to be going vegan and telling everyone to go vegan. And I don't know if our listeners have heard of Chris Hedges, but there's a saying he always says. He always says, I don't fight fascists because I think I'm going to win. I fight fascists because they're fascists which I always find really funny. But you could kind of look at it the same way here. I don't talk about collapse because I think I can solve it or because I think we can solve it. I told you in the first episode, I think we're past it. I talk about collapse because it's happening. And so the goal of this podcast is not to come up with the solution that's going to save the world and save humanity. I wish we had it. This is one piece of something that could help. And so I, like you just said, Kellen, If you are willing to become vegan, that is great, and you will be a great help to this particular issue. Maybe as I continue learning and as I continue consuming less and less meat, I've found out that I need it less and less. And so it may come to a point where I just decide to scrap it all together. 
Yeah, and just to jump in, it makes me think about a conversation that I had with my wife recently. We recognize that we are very fortunate. I have a job during the pandemic, and I know there are a lot of people suffering out there. And so we thought, maybe we can give some money somewhere. And we started looking into all the causes that are out there. And it honestly became a little bit overwhelming, right? Because there's only a limited amount that we can give. And it's like, do we give it to an organization that provides wheelchairs for people who need wheelchairs? Or to one that provides glasses for people who need glasses? Or to an organization that prevents child sex trafficking, right? What could be more important than that? Or to this one that helps people that are going hungry, right? And the list goes on and on. There's so many worthy causes. And we're here thinking, where are we going to have the most impact? And I know that might seem like a tangent, but I think it's related because your approach in creating this podcast was to educate, to help people become aware of what's going on. It's not to prescribe, right? It's not to say, hey, if you're listening, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. It's helping make sure as many people as possible know the path that we're on and then they can make the choices that they want to or that they feel are going to have the biggest impact. And any change that you make or any way that you choose to help society or to at least delay all of the awful things that are coming our way is a positive. So I don't know if I'm overstepping my bounds on jumping in and saying, I I don't imagine that you, Corey, are planning to be prescriptive or to tell people what to do in this podcast. Instead, I take it as I, as a learner, am understanding and thinking about things that I never have before. And I have my own personal responsibility to figure out what I'm going to do about it. Yeah, that's exactly it. You actually said it in a way that I hadn't thought about, but that is exactly right. I want to give the knowledge. I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do. You know, Kellen, you asked what can be done, so I said what could be done, but I'm not telling anyone that you need to do it. I myself am not doing it. So yeah, I want the listeners to know there's no judgment from me, right? I'm not judging people based on their actions. Collapse is tough. The, the topic is tough. The energy and mental investment into it all is incredibly difficult. And so there's no judgment coming from me, and I hope there's no judgment towards me from the listeners, though I'm sure there is. Really, we're all in it together. We're all trying to do the best that we can do to get through and cope the way that we can. And so, yeah, it's a valid statement. Thank you for clarifying that. So along those lines, uh, I guess to introduce the topic of next week, Kellen actually volunteered to step up and take this one as well. So Kellen, I'll let you kind of introduce what you're going to talk about. Yeah, we've talked about over and over again in the podcast, we've made mentions of mental health and the effect that this topic has on mental health. We've talked about the effect that this has on our thoughts and emotions. I've seen as I've started getting into the Collapse subreddit and seeing what kind of conversations are going on out there, I see that there are a lot of questions around, like, how do you deal with this? You know, I've even seen some really tragic things that I know the moderators of the subreddit try to get in front of and take care of where people are really losing hope and falling into what I feel is the opposite of hope, which is despair. And even as I've tried to bring this topic up to some friends and family members, they've made some comments about like, I don't really want to learn about that because it's just too sad. It's just too depressing. So what I see is a big need to talk about mental health and specifically how to cope. How do you deal with learning this information? And I feel like maybe I have a unique perspective on it because I've you know, been open about the fact that I've had mental health issues in the past. And also because I'm new to this and I've been learning about it and I have a fresh perspective on what it's been doing to my own mental health. 
So I plan to bring a lot of things to the table next week that I think will be helpful for anybody who has any of those questions. And hopefully as times get continually tougher, it's something that people can refer back to or can refer friends or acquaintances to. So I'm excited for it. I really think it's going to provide a lot of value. Yeah, I'm really excited about that one as well. It's an area where I think I fall a little short on understanding. I haven't put a lot of energy into understanding. And so I'm really excited to hear your perspective on it. Thanks again to everyone who left us reviews this last week. It's been awesome. We again invite you to leave reviews if you haven't done so yet. It's a huge help to us. As well, just check out the Patreon link in the description below. Any support that we can get to continue running the podcast is greatly appreciated. We look forward to continuing to improve the quality and and come up with new ideas for the podcast and, and all the support that we get. It really does make that possible. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.